Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. I want to speak to you this morning, um, so kind of on the same vein we've been going on. A few couple weeks ago, I preached about belief systems and how they affect uh, our faith, and if we if we don't have our belief systems in the right place, then our actions and our emotions will be wrong. And it seems like the word of God can be no effect because we haven't applied the word of God to our belief systems that are that are unseen. Does everybody remember that? No. If not, you go home and listen to the podcast if you'd like. But I want to I want to kind of continue that this morning because. Um, I feel like I left it open-ended, where if our belief systems are in the wrong place, how do we deal with that? And I believe this morning, uh, God has given me a word for you on how to recover from wrong belief systems, because we need to recover in life. Do you know that? So the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is In My Feelings. In My Feelings. Alternate title, Kiki, Do You Love Me? Kiki, Do You Love Me? I'm just kidding. If you don't know what that means, I trust you have good taste in music, okay? So... Hey, but I want to continue on this because I believe this week as I was praying about it, I believe uh, God revealed to me that he doesn't waste anything. Do you know that? God doesn't waste anything. We look at nature and we see things like um, when, an, and when an animal dies, it actually goes back into feeding insects and other animals. Nothing is wasted that God created. And, and also when, when a flock will graze in an area, they, if they graze in that area too long, their waste can become bad for them, but actually God created predators to move a flock to new areas, so the, everything that goes into the ground actually becomes fertilizer for that area, and life begins to grow even better in that area where the animals, they herded for a while before they were moved by predators. See, everything is used in God's creation. And then I started to think about how man created this thing called plastic, you know, this thing, and it doesn't really go back into creation. And it sits on the surface, and we have these garbage jumps that are full of this stuff called plastic, and it just becomes waste. But I started to think about it as it relates to our faith, and I realized God doesn't waste a thing. He doesn't waste what you've been through. He doesn't waste what, what, what's happened in your life, the circumstances. Maybe there's something that you've been carrying for, work, for years, but I believe God desires to use it as fertilizer for others to grow. But we do this thing where we, we can become plastic. There's way too many plastic Christians in this generation, if I'm being honest with you. But years have been wasted because you have not recovered from what you've been through, and it sits as plastic, not working as fertilizer for anybody else's faith or anything that they've been through. But I believe our job is to see wounds in others and use our experiences as fertilizers to see them grow. Instead of holding on to them and dealing with the same thing for years, never using it, never recovering from it so that it can help others grow, but it becomes plastic. And you know what we do is we don't use it as fertilizers to help other people grow. We find other plastic people who have the same wounds we have, and we gossip with them, and we become bitter with them, and we deal with the same things, never allowing God to use what you've been through to further his kingdom, to go back into helping others and using it as fertilizer to see them grow. So my message this morning is all about the fact that we must recover from what we've been through. God wants to use it. It's not for no reason. I want to read from Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 23. It says, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains, because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. 
the great locust, then the young locust, the other locust, and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. You know, I think these verses are really important. I love these, I love these verses. And I think everybody who desires to live according to God's will needs to understand the process of recovery. You need to understand the principle of recovery because it's necessary. And you know why? Because in life, loss is inevitable. Sometimes life just happens, right? We're all going to experience loss at some point in life. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. You're all going to experience loss in your life, so we have to understand that there's going to come things that there's no explanation for. There's going to be accidents. There's going to be hurricanes. There's going to be uh, drunk drivers. There's going to be things that you are out of your control, like recessions or layoffs or funerals, and there's going to be loss in your life. And so you can get stuck in your feelings if you're not careful, and these circumstances can throw your faith never to allow you to be the same through them. Maybe sometimes life happens, other times imperfect people happen. Have you ever been caught cleaning up someone else's mess? Can I get an amen from some people who've dealt with that before? And if you're a parent, you know exactly what it's like to clean up someone else's messes. I do it almost every single day, um, and it's never their mess. Like my sister, my brother did that. That's not my mess. And so we deal with cleaning up other people's messes, and, and maybe in your life, this has been something that you've been the victim of. You've been the victim of betrayal or lying or thievery or something, gossip behind your back, something people have done. Imperfect people are bound to cause us loss at some point in our life. And, and this is the backside of the blessing of relationship, because the people who are close enough to love you are also the people who are close enough to make you cry. And there's vulnerability that comes in relationship. And if we're not careful, we'll allow our belief system to be poisoned and we'll lose out on the blessing of intimacy because we fear being hurt again. And I think God wants us to recover from what people have done to us because it's going to happen. There's vulnerability that comes with intimacy, intimacy, but there's also a blessing that we'll miss out on if we don't recover from what people have done to us. So life happens, imperfect people happen, and thirdly, guess what? You happen sometimes. Sometimes you are a result of your own actions. There's consequences that come along with them, and we can't spend our whole life not taking responsibility and blaming everyone else that we grew up with or our parents or those people that hurt me and everything. I have to sometimes take some responsibility and say, you know what? My brokenness played a factor in in what happened in that relationship too. Maybe if I had had better discernment, I wouldn't have gotten into that relationship in the first place, and then I wouldn't be dealing with with what I'm dealing with. Now, I had to take some responsibility for my actions. I didn't have to allow those people to walk all over me. Now I'm bitter at those people, but you know what? I should have, you know what, God? I should have known. And so we have to take some responsibility for for where we find ourselves sometimes. I, I, I heard this man tell a story, and he was in an airport. He had to wait for a couple of hours before his flight, and he was kind of hungry. It was an early morning flight, so he went to uh, Krispy Kreme they had in the airport, and he got a dozen Krispy Kreme's donuts, um, donuts from God. And he he sat down at this little table, and and he put a suitcase next to him, and he sat down, and and, uh, another man came and sat down across from him when he wasn't looking, but he thought it's okay. There was just not many places to sit. This guy sat across the table from him. And uh, he, he opens up his box of donuts, and he, and he takes one, 
sitting right there on the table, and and uh, he starts to eat it, and he thinks, man, this is these are some. This is like manna from heaven, I'm sure he's thinking to himself. But next thing you know, this guy sitting across from him smiles at him, opens up the box, and grabs a donut for himself. And he's thinking to himself, this guy has some nerve touching my donuts. I can't believe this guy. And so, you know, he, he grabbed his donuts, put them on his lap, and kind of turned his chair, like, and gave the guy, like, a look, like, what's your problem? The guy finished his donut that, that he had taken from his box of donuts, and and he smiled again. He stood up. He walked over to the man by his chair and smiled again and grabbed another donut and went back to his chair and sat down and started eating another donut. This man started to think, you know what, I want to punch this guy in, his, in the face, but you know, maybe he's like, maybe he's a little off. Maybe something is going on with this man. Maybe I shouldn't be, you know, angry at this man. Maybe he's not all there mentally. I don't know. Something is going on. And so he just continues to eat his donuts. This man's just sitting over there smiling at him, just in a good mood eating his donuts. So he says whatever. He puts the donuts back on the table. He turns his chair back, and he's just thinking to himself, what in the world is going on in this airport today? This man who's sitting across from him, he, he finally um, gets up after about 30 minutes of sitting across the table from him, grabs the box of donuts, and walks away with his box of donuts. And so he is livid. He stands up, and he gets ready to walk over to the man and yell at him, and he looks down, and sitting on top of his suitcase is his box of donuts. He'd been eating this man's donuts the entire time. This man was smiling at him in a good mood, didn't want to punch him in the face, but the whole time he'd been thinking, this man is stealing my donuts. He was stealing that person's donuts. Can I ask you, is it possible that your brokenness has caused some of, the, some of what you thought was abuse to you? You've actually been abusing people. Maybe you've been abusing your family members because of the brokenness in you, but you've been blaming them. How about, blame, how about you, you've been blaming um, people in church, your other church you used to go to that you got hurt at? Was it possible that some brokenness you had in you caused issues with them and you've been blaming other people? You are responsible for some of the things that you have gone through. You know, when I used to do youth ministry, I used to tell kids, take good notes on the situations you go through. Because if Susie and Karen have issues, and then Susie and Nicole have issues, and then Susie and Jen have issues, and then Susie and Courtney have issues, and Jenna and Jen again, the other Jen with two ends, and then all these people have issues. You know what I would say? I'd say, look at your list. Who's involved in every single one of these issues? Susie is involved in every single one of these issues, so maybe there's something Susie needs to deal with in herself. But the truth is, loss is inevitable. And if you're wanting to live the life that God intended, you have to learn to lose, to have loss without losing. Because you're going to experience loss, but just because you have a loss doesn't mean I have to lose. You know what, I'm going to go through loss in life, but I've decided I need to find a way, even though I go through loss, to win. Because I have to win. I want to win in the... in live the life God intended for me to live, but the question is not what you believe about loss that matters. Because we're all going to experience loss. The question is, what do you believe about recovery? Is it possible? Is it feasible? Can God do that in your life? Can he give you back what you've lost? Can he fix it? Can he turn this around? Because I need you to know this morning, it is impossible to fully believe the gospel and not believe in recovery. We serve a God who recovered from something that nobody else can recover from, and that's the grave. When Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, he recovered from the worst thing that could possibly happen to him, and he recovered from something like that. 
we can recover from what you're going through. In fact, he didn't just recover from the grave. He recovered from the betrayal of who put him there. You know what that means? So can I. I can recover from whatever it is that I'm dealing with. That whatever it is that has affected my belief systems, that now affect my emotions, my behaviors, my thoughts, and everything that goes with that, I can say, you know what, I can recover from wrong beliefs and apply the word of God and see him change my life. I can, I can recover from those things. But Pastor Brent, but they recover. But she said, recover. But it's too late. Recover. But I don't understand how God can recover, but, but they won't recover, but, but I tried recover. God wants you to recover from whatever it is that has affected your life, and you've been stuck in your feelings. You can say this morning that you can't recover, and can I tell you something? You're right, but if you say this morning that you can, you are also right, because I believe that what you believe about recovery actually affects the results you will get from recovery, If you don't believe that you can, you will not. But if you believe that you can, in Jesus' name, you will. In this passage we read, I I need you to first understand Israel is an agricultural society. So much of the stuff we see Jesus use in parables and different stories, we see it, it, it deals with agriculture. In this story, we see they were going through a season of famine. It hadn't been raining. And in fact, we know from the story that they had, they had had years of locust infestations that have hurt their harvest. They had all these things going on, and there was no pesticides back then. It was, it was basically, if God didn't remove it, it was, they couldn't do anything about it. So God, if it didn't have divine intervention, then it didn't get intervened. If God didn't stop it, it didn't get stopped. And so they had had years of these locusts coming in. They had these seasons of sweating and bleeding and working and and all of this to have no harvest at the end. How many of you know everybody who sows wants to reap a harvest? Everybody who sows wants to reap what they've put in time for. When it's time for harvest for the Israelite people, something always flew in. Something always flew in and took what they, what they had worked so hard for. Have you ever felt like no matter how hard you worked, you never got to enjoy the harvest? I think we've all been there. I think there's been seasons of my life where I've worked and worked and never experienced what I thought I was going to get reaped from each of those seasons. And in this season, God gave Joel a message. He said, Joel, I want you to deliver this prophetic message to my people. Can I ask you this morning, don't be afraid of that word. Don't be afraid of the word prophecy. Maybe some people have abused it, and maybe some people have told you something that wasn't true, but I want to encourage you. There comes a time in your life where you're going to need a word from God to interpret the present and give you hope for the future. You're going to need a prophetic word, and the people of Israel, they needed it. It, And a prophetic word, it speaks encouragement or it speaks, speaks correction. And in this story, God tells Joel, I want you to tell my people, be glad. Be glad. We're in a season of famine. There's nothing to be glad about. But how many of you know that God sees things that we can't see? And so even though my people don't see it, I want you to tell them to be glad. Because if they could see what I see, there'd be reason to be glad. They haven't seen it yet, but it's coming. I've seen things that they can't see. If they knew what was around the corner, they would be glad. Maybe that's God's word for you this morning. Maybe you've been in a season where you haven't seen a harvest, but I believe God's word for somebody in this place is be glad. Because if you could see what he could see around the corner, you wouldn't be worried or stressed about your situation anymore. You'd understand that God has gone 
gone before you and he's working things out on your behalf. He's doing more than you think he is this morning. Then he says, you children of Zion. You know what God's doing? He's reminding them of a relationship because it's possible when you're going through something to forget who you are. Children of Zion, you're my kids. If you have kids in kids' church back there right now, you know you care about all the kids in your, in your kids' class. You care about all the kids back in eKids this morning. But how many of you know you're going to make sure your kid is taken care of? In the words of Chris Rock, I take care of my kids. Um, but you, under, you need to understand that there's something about it being your child. And God is saying this morning, these are my children. You're my child. You care about all those other kids, but you think I'm going to let you starve? You're my kid. I'm going to take care of my kids. And this is the transfer from relationship. It's a shift from the creature creator relationship to entering into a relationship with the father of son or daughter and father. You're entering to a child-father relationship with God. And he says, if you're mine, no weapon formed against you will prosper. He says, if you're mine, I'll supply all of your, all of your needs according to my riches and glory. The enemy will come to you one way, but flee seven ways. And every tongue that rises up against you shall not condemn, or I shall condemn. If you're here this morning and you're his, you need to understand that he's given you the former reign faithfully, just like he did to the Israelites. He was reminding them, you're my children, and do you remember when I gave you reign faithfully in the past? Some of you have been through some stuff. If you're here this morning, most of you, I would suggest, have been through some stuff. And just because you don't see it now doesn't mean God has stopped doing it. Don't let the drought make you doubt who you are, and also don't let the drought make you doubt who he is. He's still God, and he's still the the God who reigns on the just and the unjust, and he will cause rain to come down on you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if you don't see where the rain's going to come from. I'm up against a wall. I'm up against the Red Sea, and I don't see how God can do it. At his word, everything that's needed to rain will come into place, and it will rain on you. At his word. At his word, he said, let there be light, and everything that was needed for light had to come into existence and do what his word told it to do. If he tells you to rain, it to rain on you, it's going to rain. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what your circumstances around you are telling you. If he calls, calls it to rain, it's going to. And you know what I love about this passage? He doesn't say it's going to rain everywhere. He says it's going to rain on you. Maybe we're in a recession. Maybe the economy isn't going in the direction. Maybe your job is doing layoffs. But can I tell you, my God, if you're his child, says it's going to rain on you. And I believe that there's going to be people who are going to get soaked just by being in the, your field around you. Because when he rains on you, they're going to be blessed by, by proximity to your rain. And then God says your threshing floors and your vats are going to be full. And he says that the locusts, he says, I will restore all the years that the locusts have stolen. Then he lists four types of locusts. You need to know, I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care what the locusts that came and took something from you look like. I'm going to restore what they took. It doesn't matter what form it came in. God is a God of restoration. He wants us to recover. And then the, the scripture that we read, it says something interesting. He says, my great army that I sent among you. This is interesting. Because this kind of goes against the attributes that we think of with God. God is good, right? Yeah. And the Bible says he won't even tempt you with evil. He won't even tempt you with evil. Yet this verse says, my great army that I sent among you. You see, I believe God, he, he uses what we go through, but he doesn't orchestrate the bad situations that we go through. 
I don't think he desires for those to come on us. And, and when you look at this verse, we think of, we read it in English, we think that the word sent, we think of the word active, like God sent these locusts to them. But can I tell you, in the Hebrew, this is actually a passive word. That means he didn't send it, but he allowed these locusts to come. And, and I think this is really a result of Israel's own choosing because in seasons where they experienced overflow, they allowed them to lead, lead, them, lead it, they allowed it to lead them to arrogance where they forgot about the God who sent the rain. And they, and they went through these things. They had no idea what could happen before then because God had been blocking it. You don't even know what God has done this week to protect you. And there's some locusts that have been trying to get to you, but I need you to know this morning that they cannot get to you if you're under the hand of the Almighty God. And he says, you will only go this far. That some things that want to come against you, they will not come against you. They had no idea that this could happen when they were arrogant because God was blocking it well. Can we give God some praise for blocking some things in your life? That there's some people and some things that wanted to get to you, but he's blocked them. Some things that wanted to steal from you, but he's blocked them. And some of you this morning, to clear something up, some of you are thinking, how can we forfeit God's presence like, like the Israelites did? How can we forfeit his presence if he's omnipresent? I'm glad you asked this morning. I'm really glad you asked. Um, because when I say evict God's presence, that, he, that they, you know, they got arrogant and they evicted his presence and his protection, I'm actually talking about his manifest presence, not his omnipresence. Omnipresent means God is everywhere all at one time. He sees everything in our lives. That's God's omnipresence, but there's a difference between that and his manifest presence. You know, years ago when I had started working in, and helping at my church in youth ministry, I wasn't in youth ministry myself. I was just uh, a servant leader. I was volunteering, and there was an issue at one time, and they needed a worship leader for the youth ministry, and they had nobody that had ever led worship before, and they were wondering what they were going to do, and and finally, there was this girl who she was in the back, and she played guitar. She was a quiet girl, never said much. And uh, they said, hey, how about you come up and just, we don't have anything else. Would you just lead? Can I tell you the next season of ministry in that youth ministry was blessed because of the gifting that God had placed in that girl from the back? But if she had stayed in the back, they never would have been blessed because she was there, but her manifest presence wasn't known until she came up front. There's a God, an omnipresent is always in the back, but I don't get blessed until I receive his manifest presence where I say, God, I need you to come out from the back, and I need you to not just see what's going on. I need you to interact in what's going on. I'm calling God from the back. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Brent, they needed a worship leader. Weren't you available? And I need you to know they didn't, they didn't like Disney songs, so they didn't want me to do it. But I need Jesus to come out from the back and show himself in my life. That's why we put so much emphasis on worship in this place, because if we can come here and just, and just sing songs to God, we can be in his omnipresence. He's here with us. I believe that. But if we can get Jesus to come out from the back, your life can change. If we can get Jesus to come out from the back, your, your wounds in your heart can be healed. Your physical body can be healed if we can get Jesus to show up in his manifest presence. We need Jesus to come out from the back. This is why we do that. We put so much emphasis on praise and worship here because he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we worship him, he's, st he's standing in the back and he says, wait a second, I hear someone giving worth to my name. I hear someone who values my name. I hear someone who's crying out in need of me. And I hear someone worshiping me in a storm saying, God, we desire your manifest presence in this place. And Jesus comes from the back and shows himself. That's why a church who worships in unity will experience the manifest presence of God. 
Why do you guys worship so long here? It's just too much. Can I tell you? Because we need Jesus to come out from the back. I don't need a God who's in the back. I need him to come out front. Why are you clapping and shouting? Because I need Jesus to come out from the back. He's not doing me any good in the back. I need him right here, front and center, to touch my life. Why are you jumping and raising your hands? I need him to come out from the back. Because when he comes out in his manifest presence, things change. We can't be complacent, church, in a time where we need change in our city, in our lives, in our families. Things shift when Jesus comes out from the back. How many of you have been placing Jesus in the back? This is not in my notes, but I want to ask you this morning. How many of you have been placing Jesus in the back of your mind, in the back of your life? Can I ask you right now, just say, Jesus, will you come and be front and center right now in the center of my life? I put you in the highest place in Jesus' name. You have all authority, God. You say go and I will go. We don't want to be satisfied with your omnipresence. Jesus, we need your presence in our everyday life, God, because the loss is going to happen. And Jesus, you have the highest place. Come and take your place. We need your manifest presence in every one of our lives in Jesus' name. The church in, in this country, they, they've, they're satisfied with, without the presence of God. And you know what? When you evict the presence of God, you forfeit his protection. And, and you know how long the average American Christian prays per month? 21 minutes. 21 minutes per month. Do you know how long the average American is on social media per month? 60 hours. That's 180 times almost as long as we're praying every month. We're spending scrolling through social media. You know what? Social media and posting about your problems isn't going to change a thing. But if you can spend time getting a hold of the creator of the universe and call him out from the back, things will start to change in your life. And your problems might not seem as big in the light of a big God. Your problems look a little smaller. But we got to get Jesus to come out of the back so things can change. Then he says in the scripture, he says, there's a season coming and you're going to have plenty and you're going to praise God for all he has done. I'm ready for a season like that in my life. I don't know about you. But the interesting thing here is the promise God makes to Joel is a promise of restoration. And wait a second, Pastor Brent, we're talking about the process of recovery. And I started to think about this and I think I've realized that restoration is God's job. He promises to restore what we've lost if we will practice recovery. It takes a little bit of me doing something for God to do his part. God says, I will restore, but recovery is yours. I can only experience God's restoration if I'm able to engage in the practice of recovery. What's the difference? The difference is Israel lost their crops. They wanted their crops restored. But do you know that that's not actually the only thing they lost? They not only lost their crops, they could also lose something they don't see. And you're dealing with the same situation. When disaster hits in your life, you might lose something outwardly. But what's more important is you might lose something inwardly. I I not only lost my crops, I lost my heart. I not only lost the harvest, I lost my heart. You see, locusts can take more than your crops. They can take your hope. They can take your optimism. They can take your peace, your joy, your, your, these locusts, they can come and take more than the crops. They can take your focus, they can take your expectation, they can take your dreams if you let them. They, could it be that the enemy's messing with your harvest so he can attack your heart? 
We're so focused on the outward thing. I, I lost my job. I'm laid off. I, I'm worried about my finances. Could it be that what he's messing with is not actually what he's trying to destroy? Evidence of this in Scripture? Sure, I got it. In Job, you remember they attacked, the enemy came and attacked his family, his marriage, and his wealth. But he wasn't even after those things. What he was after was Job's heart, and he didn't get it. You see, those outward things were taken, but his heart never gave up, and he kept believing in God. you got to understand the difference, because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And my question for you this morning is, could it be that that's progressive? That what the enemy first comes to do is steal something from you? If we're not careful, we could be so busy celebrating that we survived a storm, and the enemy's saying, you know what, I didn't send that to kill you. I stole that. I, can't, I sent that to steal something from you. And you made it through that storm, but you left something in there, and you left your heart, and you left your hope back there. I took it from you, and you don't even realize it because you're celebrating that you survived, but you left something in it. You came out, but you left something there. I didn't want to just break up that relationship. I broke you. I didn't want to just have you give up. I took your will. If you give up your will, you can't recover. And now your belief system is based on the largeness of your loss rather than the largeness of your God. And I took something from you. I broke you. You don't believe anymore. You think it's too late. You think you're too old. You gave up on that marriage. I broke you. You gave up on that child. I broke you. You put that dream on your shelf. I broke you. But God desires for us to live with the practice of recovery because when the enemy gets your will, he has your heart. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Another verse says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows everything. We can lose a harvest, but we can never lose heart. It's easy to get crops back. It's not easy to get your heart back. So as I close here, I want to give you three things on how to recover from heart attacks. Three things. The first thing is acknowledge. Do you know that you cannot fix what you will not face? There's some things in your life that have happened that you won't even, you're blind to because you won't face what has actually happened to you. Faith is not denial in the fight. The Israelites, they came up to the promised land and they said, there are giants in the land. They didn't deny the fight, but there was a different spirit in Caleb and Joshua, and they said, but we can for sure take it. Let's go in right now. That's faith. To say, I don't deny that I'm in a fight, but I believe God can help me through a fight. I'm going to acknowledge it. Many people do not recover because you're dealing with blindness. You can't even see you've been robbed. Can I tell you, everyone around you sees it, and there's some people who can't even tell you what they see because you'll get defensive, and you will refuse to acknowledge the truth. The two things that, are, that mostly cause blindness is pride and pain. If you're locust with someone, sometimes you won't even give them the pleasure of acknowledging what they took from you. I'm fine. I, they didn't take anything from me. They didn't do that to me because I'm dealing with pride. I'm not going to give them the pleasure. And they took something from you, but you're blind to it. You're hurting. Your heart is not in the same place. Something was taken from you. At some point, you have to look in the mirror and say, I lost something. Something was stolen from me. Pain says, I was hurt so bad that I can't revisit it. It's not the harvest. It's your heart. They took something from you. The first step is to acknowledge it. Can I get the worship team to come up and help me? The second step 
is to identify it. It's one thing to know that you're not the same. It's another thing to know what left you. There's a story in the scripture about David, and, and he's the king, and he led the army to fight in a battle. And while they were out at, a ba- at this battle, there was an army that came and invaded their camp. They took their families, they took their valuables, and they took everything. So Daniel, or David and his men, they came back from this battle, and they had won, and they came back to find their camp ravished and their family members gone. The people wanted to stone David. They were so mad. Where's my family? We were out serving you, and they came and they took it. And so David, he goes before the Lord, and he says, Lord, should I pursue? And God says to him, pursue, for you will surely take back everything that was stolen from you. He says, because guess what? The people who stole those things from you, your family, they're not coming back. Can I tell you this morning, the people or the circumstances that stole from you, they're not coming back. They're not bringing back. They're not bringing it back. You have to pursue. You have to go after it because the enemy is not giving back what he stole from you. We got to go get it. He's not bringing your hope back. He's not bringing your peace back. He's not bringing your, your joy back. He's not bringing anything back. The person who broke you is not coming back to fix you. And you may never hear an apology from the person who stole from you, but I need to tell you that does not mean that you cannot go pursue your peace again because you don't need an apology. You have grace. And if I have grace, I'm going to go after everything that they took from me. In fact, the people who broke you, they're probably so blind they don't even realize that they broke you but they took something from you. But it's God's desire for us to recover. If we're honest this morning, some of us are waiting in this cell that these people put us in, these circumstances put us in, waiting for them to come apologize. And you know what you're doing is you're saying they are the only ones who have the key to unlock this cell. Otherwise, I'm going to stay stuck in this cell, in my bitterness, in my heartache, in my heartbrokenness, in my betrayal until they come and let me out. Can I tell you this morning, they are not coming back. It's time to get up out of your cell and pursue everything that was taken from you and say, you know what? I'm not getting it back from them, but at God's word, I'm going to identify it and I'm going to pursue it and how, Jesus, I'm coming after you and, and you have the peace that belongs to me, Jesus, and I'm not going to keep my eyes on anyone else. I'm getting up out of this cell because Jesus holds the key to everything that was stolen from me. The last thing that you need is, remember you need to acknowledge it, you need to identify it, and the last thing is you need to own it. You are not responsible for your hurt, but this morning I need you to know you are responsible for your healing. You can stay stuck your whole life. You can stay plastic your whole life. Or you can allow God to use everything you've been through as fertilizer to see someone else grow and come through what they're going through. But you got to own it. you got to say, you know what, I'm going to make a decision on how I'm going to allow myself to live the rest of my life. Am I going to be imprisoned by people who don't even know that I'm hurting? Or am I going to pursue? Am I going to get up and go after Jesus and everything that he has for me? I want to own it. How you own it is, it's based on your belief system. Do you believe that God will empower you to recover from what you've been through? If you don't believe it, then he, you won't receive recovery. But if you believe that he can, he, he will do his part. 
you commit to pursue recovery and he will bring restoration to your life, to your heart, to everything that you've been through. God says, I will restore what you can't. You cannot fix what they said about you, but you can fix how you deal with it emotionally. You can never fix your reputation, but God can fix you. Maybe you can't fix and you can't undo the past, but God says, I can redo your future. He says, I will restore the years back to you that the enemy has stolen. This does not necessarily mean he will give you more years, but I believe what this means for most of us is that he will physically do more through you in the remaining years that you have than he could have done in all the years that the enemy stole. He will restore all of the years that the enemy has stolen from you. That means right now you might be in a pit and you might have wasted the last 10 years, but can I tell you, God can open one door that can make up for 10 lost years because as soon as you allow God to use what you've been through as fertilizer, all of a sudden, all the hardness in my heart, all the plastic nature in my heart falls away and I say, Jesus, you can have everything, even the hurting, even the parts of me that that are gross and bitter and angry. God, I give it to you. And you know what happens? Bitter people start to come to you and you start to realize, hey, I was just like you, but do you know what? Jesus said, they aren't coming back. I'm gonna pursue Jesus and the peace and the hope that he has for me and all of a sudden fertilizer. You see people around you begin to grow through what you've been through. And not only that, Jesus starts to bring people to you who need to hear what you've been through. My question for you this morning is, do you believe Joel? Do you believe that that's God's word? For his people, do you believe that as you recover, God will bring restoration? Because I believe that God wants you to live to your full potential. And some of you, you've been robbed by people and circumstances that have kept you in the past. And you know you will not grow until you allow Jesus to help you to recover and restore everything that was stolen from you. I read about koi fish this last week. And something interesting about them is they will... If you put a koi fish in a bowl, it will live its whole life happy in this little bowl, but it will only grow to four inches. If you put it in a fish tank, it will live happily, never cause an issue in a fish tank. It will not die, but it will never grow beyond eight inches. You put it in a pond where it has some more room to to roam around, a koi fish will grow to 18 inches. But if you put a koi fish in a lake, do you know that a koi fish can grow to 42 inches? And some of you have been happy swimming around in a little bowl at four inches and allowing what happened to you before to keep you contained. But I believe God this morning is saying, there's some people that I'm ready to set free from that little cell that they bought themselves in, that little four walls of the church that they thought this was all there was for them. And I believe Jesus is saying, it's time to come out of that little bowl. I got a lake for you to swim around. There is growth taking place because I refuse to stay stuck in what happened to me in the past in Jesus' name. I'm coming out. Can you stand up to your feet with me this morning and just declare, you know what? I'm taking back everything that the enemy has stolen from me. In Jesus' name, that family belongs to me. Those uh, that, that peace belongs to me. That joy belongs to me. In Jesus' name, I refuse to stay stuck this morning. My question for you, shall you pursue? Pursue and God will give you back every single thing that was stolen for you from you. He'll bring restoration if you commit to pursue. That's why I love the story in Scripture about this woman with an issue of blood. 
She received full restoration. She'd been to every doctor. She'd been to every person who thought they knew how to heal this issue of blood that she was dealing with. She dealt with it for years and years until finally she said, you know what? I heard there's a man named Jesus and I'm going to pursue him. Even though everyone else in front of me wants to stop me, I will crawl and claw my way to Jesus. Because if I can get to Jesus, he can restore everything that was taken from me. Can I ask you this morning, are you ready to claw your way to Jesus and say, you know what? I'm going to get to you and you're going to restore everything that was taken from me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every broken person, for every brokenhearted person in this place, for every person who's lost hope, for every person who put that dream on a shelf, and I say in the name of Jesus, that still belongs to you, and the enemy will not hold you in a cell any longer. Those people and those circumstances will never make it right, but my Jesus made it right when he recovered from death on the cross, and he rose up three days later. In the name of Jesus, I'm rising up out of my ashes and out of my grave. He brings life to the dead things this morning in Jesus' name. Come on, worship him. There is life in the name of Jesus. You don't have to leave here the same way. Come on, lift his name up.